Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Life is a race you were created to win. All right, somebody else has got to believe it this morning. Your life is a race that you were presently created to win. And two weeks ago, as we started this series, we shared these three pillars of how we need to frame our days so we run well. We said that we need a clear vision so we run our lives with conviction. We said that we need continual fuel so we don't burn out. And we need a sustainable pace so we don't quit. Now last week, we talked about the most foundational piece. A life with God that's built to last. And we shared how our goal in spiritual life and our goal in life It's not Bible study or church attendance, but that we can actually know the God of the universe. And he hasn't called us servants. He's called us friends. And that we can actually step in and know him the same way we know a dearest friend. Last week, we started sharing some practical steps about how we understand that Jesus already tore down those veils so that we can come near to him. Today, I want to continue And I want to talk about how God has given us the blessing of core relationships in our life. Now, some of those relationships are present right now, and some of them God is preparing to introduce into your story any day now, and he wants you to be ready. Some of these relationships, you're related by birth. Some, you're related by marriage. Some are in your life by choice. But these are the people that you call your family, your dearest friends, your tribe. They're the ones you look at and you say, hey, those, those are my people. Those are my people. And what I want to share this morning is this. How well you walk with those people defines how faithfully you run your race. How well you walk with those people defines how faithfully you run your race. In the minutes ahead, this is what I want to do. I want to share how we discern the difference between these relationships and everybody else 
on planet Earth. Because listen, we've been called to love all of the Earth. We've been called to love all people. You have no enemy of flesh and blood. We love all people. We bless all people. As we see needs from all people, we serve all people. But you're only going to get to run and hold and walk alongside and build with a very select few. I want to share this morning how that's actually by design, and it's a really good thing. I want you to discern who those people are in your life right now. And once we get those people, I want to share three super practical rhythms that we can build into our lives so that we actually build strong relationships that are built to last with these people. Now, as we do that, I want to take us back to a core principle we talked about last week, and it's this. Until your resolutions become rhythms, they will never be realities. Until your resolutions, that thing you want, become rhythms, something you do, they will never be realities. And we talk about these core relationships. This is what I mean. I've heard tons of people say something like, I want an amazing marriage. I want that one love of a lifetime. Or parents to say, man, I want to raise my kids well, prepare them fully for life, and be best friends when they're adults. Or maybe you're saying right now, I want to be part of a community of 2 a.m. friends. Those people that you can call at 2 a.m. if you're in crisis or if you just want to hang. The people that see you and celebrate you. People who truly share life together. And I want to say, that's great. That's a great resolution. But until your resolution becomes a rhythm, it will never be a reality. You see, in your relationships, there are certain rhythms. There are things you need to show up and do and keep doing over time. Because the race that we're running is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And what's amazing about these rhythms we're going to talk about today is as we see what they are, they actually expose the things that would hinder and hurt these relationships so that we can stop. I want to end our time this morning by having an honest heart evaluation that we would look at these relationships and ask the question, how am I doing in this bend of the race with these people that God has given me? I'm going to ask where it is we need to repent where it is we need to refocus. Maybe you're going to see a place that you go, that relationship, that's good, that's good. And I'm going to say, don't settle for good. Make it unbelievable. Now, before we start, one ground rule I want to give this morning. Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in these next minutes, as you see relationships that need attention or even relationships that are broken and they need deep healing, Together, I'm going to say, we're not going to writhe in grief. We're going to rise in grace. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you today as a manifestation of his grace, that his grace is present to move, and we're going to move with him. Does that sound good? All right, so with that, I want to talk about having a family that is built to last. Now, last week as we came together, we started with a core value of Overflow Church, our foundational core value. Intimacy that says that because friendship with God is our greatest privilege, it's our joy to make it our greatest priority. I want to start this morning by sharing a second value of Overflow Church, and it's the value of community. It says this, that with God, 
we grow together and we go together. What I want to share this morning is that you and I were made to run together. I love this African proverb. It says this. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And man, that echoes our story, doesn't it? As you look in the beginning of the story in Genesis, as God begins to create, our creator revealed his will for mankind right at the start. We step into the midst of this creation story, and this is what we see, that our God is king and our God is good, and so all he makes is good. He makes the sun and the moon, and it's good. He separates the day from the night, and it's good. He makes the water and the land and the expansive sky, and it's good. He makes land animals of every shape and size and kind, and it's good. He makes the creatures of the sea, and it's good. And the story is building to this pinnacle where finally God reaches down into the dust, and he breathes in the dust, and we see something creation has never seen, a living being unlike anything else. And as he breathes in, he makes a creature that can think and walk and talk and love and reason and have a relationship with him. And at that moment it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Oh, wait a second. We're in a story that's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. This is the first time in the story that a God who is only good has something that he says, this is not good. It's not good that you walk alone. It's not good that you run your race alone. You say, it's just me and Jesus. That's not good for Jesus. It's not good. He said, I'll make a helper suitable. A language nerd like myself, I get excited because I look at that in this two-word phrase in Hebrew, a suitable helper. It has at least three meanings. The first one it means is this, that, that God is making for Adam someone who is equal and adequate. This is not somebody that Adam is intended to lord over because he is above them. This is somebody on an eye-to-eye -eye level that is on the same level as him, the same worth as him, the same value, the same strength. She is equal and adequate. Second, it's not just that she's equal and adequate, but she's opposite and corresponding to the need exactly. We see in the story as God has Adam that he says there's something missing. There's something incomplete in the image of God and humanity in the male alone. So the final meaning of that helper that's suitable is one who joins with to help fill what is lacking, a partner. All of this led Old Testament scholar Kenneth A. Matthews to say, what the man lacks, the woman accomplishes. What the man lacks, the woman accomplishes. That's good. Now, don't go get that, ladies, on like a thing and hang up in your head. That's just not nice, all right? It's true, but it's just not nice. I want to tell you in Genesis chapter 2, when, when God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable, if you want the best translation, I believe the best translation, if we could only get one word in English, is he says, I'm going to make a completer. A completer. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Now, we did a lot of these during quarantine, didn't we? Man, we put the jigsaw company back on the map during quarantine. But when you see a jigsaw puzzle, God's talking about our relationship with other people. And he says, this is what it's like. 
I want you to understand in relationships that it's not simply that Adam is saying, well, there's some things that, that you know, I just can't do as well as Eve can do them. No, he's saying what's actually happening is that she brings something to him that he otherwise lacks and vice versa. What's God saying? He's saying that a solo race is not good. Just you and Jesus doing your own thing. My race is not good because we've been made to run together. In fact, it's only after we're together that God declares it's very good. And I believe in this creation of Adam and Eve together, there's several different levels that this very good is operating. First of all, God is saying that the union between husband and wife is not only holy, it's very good. The idea of having husbands and wives who will leave their fathers and mothers and cleave to their spouse and be committed in all things for better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, and raise families together. He says healthy marriages are very good. There's a second sense. A second sense of Adam and Eve together. He says that man and woman leading together on planet Earth is very good. Let me say it another way. It is not good for men alone to represent the fullness of God upon the earth. It is not good for men alone to represent the fullness of God upon the earth. And in fact, we see this in history. In cultures that only empowered men's voices, all of them are marked by violence, bloodshed, and conquest, often driven by ego and fear. But the cultures we can see in society that allowed men to lead alongside women, those who partner with women, they retain their strength, but also nurture and gentleness, forgiveness, beauty, and grace. Now, I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes. Obviously, men can be forgiving and gracious and women can be strong. But what he's saying in the union of humanity is that we complete something in each other that we would both otherwise lack. Let me give you the most foundational thing that's going on in Genesis chapter 2. This is what God is saying. You choosing to not walk your, your race and live your life alone is very good. We were made to run together and we complete each other. When we move from Genesis into the New Testament, we see this theme continues as it talks about us together as the parts of a body. And in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. When we look at the Bible, this is what we find. The entire Old Testament story and the overwhelming majority of the New Testament wasn't written just to individuals doing life alone. It was written to a group of people experiencing life together. And anytime we use the word church, the church isn't a service. The church is a multifaceted body that equips one another as we mutually submit and follow Christ, our head. And that's beautiful and so easy to miss in the midst of an individualist culture that always wants to talk about life in terms of me and my life and my wants and my dreams my race. This is the truth that I want to give us this morning. The race that you have been given to run, you will only win if you refuse to run alone. The race that you've been given to run on planet Earth, you will only win if you refuse to run alone. 
God has given certain people in your life, certain suitable helpers to help complete the journey. You need them, and they need you. There's this fascinating study that was done by this British uh, anthropologist. His name is Robin Dunbar. And he came up with some years ago called Dunbar's Number. Now, this has been used by tons of universities and leadership circles and, and CEOs and businesses and academic resources. But it's basically this. He went and he studied thousands of years of human civilization from antiquity all the way forward. He looked at ancient tribes. He looked at military formations. He looked at business structures. And when he looked at all that we can learn about human history, he discovered some common trends in how many meaningful relationships one person can sustain. And he came up with Dunbar's number. Now, if you look at the far right of that, the first number that you see there is the number five. On this screen, it says close friends. What, what Dunbar actually called it was your kin. This is your living unit. And that's K-I-N, not K-E-N, like Ken and Barbie. Your K-I-N, your living unit, your family. Now, for some people, your kin might be a few less. If you're my family, your kin is a few more. But somewhere in this ballpark, he said, listen, somewhere around that number of five is the unit of people that God chose for you to share day in, day out, in the same domain life together. As he moves from that, he goes to this group of 15, which he calls super family. Your super family is a close group of friends that you choose to let in. Now, you may be related to them. They may be extended family. But they're also definitely your closest friends. And this number, again, it can fluctuate a little. But when he looked at all of human societies all across the globe, he said it pretty much banks around 15 people as the closest friends that you have the capacity to be able to pour into and have the margin to sustain. Now, I find it interesting that that's also the size of the missional communities, most missional communities that we set up here as a church. He moves from there. He goes to a group of up to 50 people. Now, in ancient people, they would call this their clan. This is when you get several connected uh, super families, several groups of friends. So you have a super family here, super family here, super family here, super family here. And they all, because they're partnering together on, on the same goals, they choose to come together and work together, and so they have close relationship. He says that group goes up to about 50 people. And then finally, he says the group of 150 people, they called that their tribe. And that was a social unit that was bound by a shared commitment to promote common values. They have the same vision of what they want to see for their region, and so they choose to link arms and to walk together. And now, once again, I just find this fascinating if we're putting it out here, because that's the approximate size of the small and mid-sized church in America today at 150. And this is what I find that, that is really crazy about that. As Dunbar goes on, he says, these are what the numbers reflect. When you go from that five all the way to that 150 and beyond. Remember, this is all about how much capacity you have to walk in deep, sustained, meaningful relationships. He said it defines three things. One, it's defining how much you feel safe and appropriate to share with somebody. How much you feel you can open up your life to them and how much of their life you want them to open up to you. He said the second was how much you feel that you can turn to them or count on them in times of need. And then the last one is how deeply you share life's experiences together. And what Dunbar is saying is this. He says the further out you move, the less depth and commitment. In fact, he goes further and he says this. Beyond the number of 150, he said, if you want to know what do I call those people outside of that 150, he said, if you're being most honest, you just have to call them acquaintances. Because you may go on social media and call them friends, 
But these are people that you know your, their name, you know some things about their story, you pop in and out of certain seasons of their life, but you don't functionally relate to them the same way as the others. So that generic term friend is actually robbing something that is very precious to those who are closest to you. And whether you agree with Dunbar or not doesn't really matter. This is what I find crazy. This is exactly how Jesus lived. When you look at Jesus, you see at the closest point to him, he has three people that he shares his life with. Peter, James, and John. They show up again and again and again and again. They're the closest group we ever read about being with Jesus in all things. They were with Jesus in Gethsemane when he was so stressed out he was sweating blood. No other human being was in the circle those three you move out from there to that super family group and jesus had 12 that he called disciples you look beyond that and you see a slightly larger group of people that show up in so many stories that we know that they walked in community with jesus you read about mary the mother of jesus mary magdalene mary of bethany there are a lot of marys in Jesus' life you read about martha lazarus but what happens when we move beyond that see when you move beyond that what the bible refers to is the crowds Jesus has his three, he has his 12. He has this select group that we know by name and everybody else that Jesus encounters is the crowd. And what you know about the crowd is this, that Jesus loved the crowd, that Jesus met the needs of the crowd in the brief window he was among them, but he built his life in a few intentional relationships. In fact, the Bible drives this point home so much that there are several times that there are people from the crowd that get so enamored with Jesus that they say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to come. And now, obviously, we're all Jesus' people. You get that, right? I'm using that as a colloquialism. But they come and they say, Jesus, I want to be one of your people. I want to come with your disciples. I want to come with you. And Jesus said, no, stay in your city here. Why? Because you have your people, and they need the glory of God from you. Jesus wasn't interested in building crowds. He was interested in blessing crowds so they would build families to last. And you and I have a capacity of only so much that we can pour out. And however we choose to recognize, discern, and walk with these people, I promise you, is defining today how well you're running the race. If we're to run our race well, we need to understand something. We need to understand that not all relationships are the same. And we need absolute clarity about who it is that God has actually called us to run with. We need to know the relationships that God has called to refresh us, restore us, encourage us, equip us, and those we're supposed to be doing the same thing for. And this seems obvious, but let's be honest, guys. Because we fail to distinguish this, as shown by how we prioritize our time and our soul, there are many people that spend their entire lives trying to win and impress the wrong people while the people God gave them suffer. How you walk with those God gave you determines how you run the race. And so this is the question I want to ask right now. Who are your people? I want you to get them in your mind right now. Let's start with that five, your kin, that living unit. Can you see those people that day in and day out, it's like, no, we're together. Whether we want to be or not, it's your family, those of you living with roommates together. I remember roommates in college, but the people you say, no, day in and day out, these are the people that I'm seeing most of the waking hours of the day. How are you doing with those people, your spouse, your kids, your parents? Can you see their faces? Let's move out a step further. Your super family. I'd say these are your ride or die, in it till the end friends. 
Can you picture the people right now? You're going, no, these are the ones I, cho- I chose as my family. These are the ones I came in. I might be related to them. I might not, but I chose them. I said, you're my super fam. You need to text one of them today and be like, you're my super fam. And they'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, it's one of those new things they're doing on the TikToks, I guess. You know, they don't know what it is you're talking about, but you just tell them, you're my super fam. Can you see their faces? This is really important because if we don't get past this part, all the practical stuff I'm going to talk about, you don't have any place to, to throw the dart and aim it. Can you see your super family right now? Let's move out to the next group, your clan. Now, these are closely linked groups of friends that walk together. So you know this, whenever you have a social gathering, you have groups of friends, and some of them are best friends with one another, and they they are best friends with one another, and you guys all get together, and you're all friends, right? But you're not as close necessarily to this person. This one's one of your super friends, but these are all kind of your friends together. You get that picture? So now as you're starting to see those together, the people that you walk together with closely because you seek the same goals. Now I'll go ahead and tip my hat. I want to be as practical as I can in this series. I'm going to tell you who the clan is for me. For me, it's the core and committed families of Overflow Church and core and committed families in the kingdom of God that I see that I'm regularly partnering with, and so I link arms. So I want people to hear me clearly. They say, wait a second, you're not saying that every family of Overflow Church is part of your clan? No, because there's more than 50 people in Overflow Church. It's just math. You say, well, wait a second, pastor, then you're choosing favoritism. No, I'm not. Listen to what I said. The clan that I'm walking in is the clan that God has determined of people that share the same vision with me and are walking the same place. And so in our lives, God is regularly linking our arms and partnering us together. It's not about nepotism or favoritism. It's about obedience and it's about capacity. And by the way, let me just say this. We have burned out far too many pastors in North America by not understanding that fact. An overflow church is not going to be a place that's going to do that. And so I rejoice every time God shows me a new face, but God's the one that shows me somebody that walks in my clan. I don't pick them. It's not a class election, and you don't either. These are people that I regularly walk with. Now, in these groups, these three groups I just talked about, I want to talk about the tribe in just a minute, but, but your kin, your super family, your clan, that group of maybe the 50 people that are closest to you, I want to tell you and I want to suggest that you need to have at least three different kinds of relationships in your life in these groups. This is where you're going to find them. And the three relationships are, the first one is mentors in your life. Now, they can be mentors in any number of places, but these are people that are further down the road than you, and they can start to show you, and their whole job is to elevate and equip something in you. By the way, if it's a mentorship, that's something that's agreed upon. So I can't look right now as much as I want to and be like, hey, man, Todd White's my mentor. Todd White doesn't know me from anybody. Todd White's not my mentor. Todd White's an awesome man of God that's running after the kingdom. He doesn't know Chuck Ammons. He's not my mentor. Right? A mentorship is agreed upon. So that would be one type. Second type would be a peer. Those are the people you walk day in and day out with, that you share life, that you see each other, that you celebrate each other, that you share one another's needs. And the third type, and this is super important because there's no junior Holy Spirit, so regardless of how young or how old you are, I'm going to tell every person, say every person, every person in the room right now, I promise you God has people in your life right now that he wants you to serve as a mentor for. There is somewhere in your life that there are people that you are further down the road than they are and that your job through your prayer and through your investment is to lift them up on your shoulders that they would go further than you've ever gone. Those three, now the Bible talks about it in language of Paul and Barnabas and Timothy relationships, but I want to tell you, these kind of relationships God wants to build up and where you should look for them is somewhere within those three groups of those 50 closest. Now there's one other group. That's that group called the tribe. For me, my tribe is Overflow Church. 
and a few key strategic kingdom partnerships beyond that. Now, I have lots of friends on social media that I think are awesome and amazing and I'd love to walk with, but God hasn't oriented my life for us to partner together. So there are people in my crowd that I just love and that I bless every time God gives me the opportunity. But if I'm going to run my race well, I need to know how to walk with the people God has given me. And so with these people, I want to tell you, when you see your 150, you see your tribe, with these people, it's very important that you take a regular priority to come together to encourage and strengthen one another. I want to tell you, that's why we show up at church every Sunday morning. That's a huge part of our weekly services, because we matter in each other's lives. You're my people, and I'm your people, and so we come together to walk further than we could ever go alone. Does that make sense? These people in our lives, they need our intentionality. And I want to go further than that and say this. If you don't protect your time with these people, someone else will take it. If you don't protect your time, if you don't have a vision for the time with those people, someone else will take it. I want to go further. I want to say the more core somebody is in your life, the more of your heart and your time and your eyes they need. So here's my question. Before I get to some practical rhythms, how are you doing? In this bend of the road, how are you doing? Is there anybody right now that you're seeing that, man, I'm spending a lot of time trying to impress, or this person is consuming my soul's newsfeed, and they're not part of my tribe? See, there's somebody that you're like, I want to belong in their group, and I keep chasing them, and I keep chasing them, and I keep chasing them, but they're not in my life. They've been aligned somewhere different. Or it's somebody that they keep having needs, and they keep coming to me, and coming to me, and coming to me, but they won't walk with me, and they're consuming my, my newsfeed. This is not what I'm saying. Please hear me. I'm not saying that you don't see these people, love these people, bless these people, or have any time for these people. Otherwise, we'd completely miss the kingdom of God. This is the question I'm asking. Are you building your life from the center out so that you have enough margin to actually love, pour into, and bless the people that you know with conviction God gave you? So I want you to do this. Close your eyes for just a minute. Can you see your people? Right now, I'm asking the Lord to put these faces before you. Your spouse, kids, your parents, your extended family, your close friends, spiritual brothers or sisters, people that you look at as mentors, spiritual fathers and mothers, people that you're pouring into their life, spiritual sons and daughters, nephews and nieces. These are the people, you got them in your mind? These are the people that we're talking about when we talk about a family that's built to last. All right, now I want you to open your eyes. In the time that we have left, I just want to share very practically three rhythms to build your life around these people. Now, there's a lot of different kind of messages that we give, and usually for me as a teacher, I like to go off the deep end and give verse after verse after verse after verse. But God gave me a burning conviction for this. I wanted to give a theological foundation in this time out front to say that us walking my race, my time, my life, and seeking relationships for what they do for me is unbiblical and dangerous. And that God has given you people and how you walk with them determines how you run your race. And those people are, are going to be completing you and you're completing them. Can we all see that? So now with that, that's a biblical framework and foundation. From here, I want to get out of the way. And as much as possible, I want to believe that you, like me, want to walk with conviction there. So because you want to walk with conviction there, I want to get super practical. 
I've tried to make this as memorable as possible. And some of these, there's not going to be anything you probably haven't heard or read somewhere in an article. So here's my question. Not how novel do you think it is. My question is, are you doing it? How do we build rhythms with these people who matter most? And how do we not burn out so that we have nothing left to give them? I'm going to tell you three things this morning. We need to show up, we need to pour out, and we need to let in. Show up, pour out, let in. So the first one is this. We need to show up. What I'm talking about right here is a priority of presence. For these people in our life, we need to be available and dependable. These are the people that we need to be able to say, you can count on me with what matters in your life. And I want to share what that could look like for you in those various relationships. The first one is this. You ready? Eyes and ears. Eyes and ears. Do you give undistracted time to the people in your circle? I'm going to talk here about spending as often as possible daily if it's your family a few focused undistracted minutes where you listen and here's the key you ready with your screens off wasn't that ingenious does this anybody else does this drive you nuts when you're trying to tell somebody something on your heart and they're like "Uh uh uh-huh 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 so here's what i want to say you ready this is gonna be life-changing for somebody today ready ready eyes and ears. You take the people in your life, even take it five minutes a day, and this is what you start to say, hey, tell me about your high and your low today. Tell me about the things in your life today that were just amazing, and the things in your life that were just really tough. Tell me about the things that you're most concerned about in the week ahead. Now, I gotta tell myself just a minute, because some of these things, all these things I hold with conviction, all these things are at the center of my prayer life. Some of these, I'm just going to tell you, I do really well. And some of these, the Lord is like, no, you need to preach it because actually it's in your prayer time. You need to work on it. This is one of these, not for everybody, because my life in ministry, I spend all my time with eyes and ears and eyes and ears and eyes and ears and eyes and ears. And so sometimes when I get home, I've got to work more on eyes and ears because I get to the point that I'm like, man, I'm just spent. And so we sat down at the dinner table the other day with my kids. And so I've been a youth pastor 20 years and worked in college ministry. And so this thing of highs and lows, share your high and share your low, is something I've done for years, done a lot. So I sit down at the table going, you know, it's been a little while, but we'll do that. I said, all right, guys, highs and lows. And you could hear like a pin drop. Everybody at the table looks at me like, huh? Except Jill, right? Everybody else is like, what? And I said, you know, like share, share the high from your week, big celebration, and the low. And I said, you know, maybe it's been long enough that the youngest kids don't really remember that and it's quiet for a minute. And then finally I looked at my son, Bradley, who is, is 17, turning 18 this year. And I'm looking for just a little bit of help, right? Um, and I look over and he says, Dad, have we ever done that? <laughs> I said, you're grounded, son. Go to your room. <laughs> Eyes and ears. Go to your room. It's one of these things that I realized, oh, my gosh, I've done this over and over and over again with college students and with teenagers and with my teen. And God was just reminding me again. Oh, it's time to do it with your family. Again, I didn't get covered in shame. It's shame off of you in Jesus' name. The minute I saw that, I went, oh, that's a creative way that I can quickly connect with my family. Eyes and ears. Just a few minutes. The next one, put it on your schedule. Every week, sorry, we can go back again. Yeah, you got it. Awesome. Put it on your schedule. Every week, we schedule meetings. We schedule doctor's appointments. We schedule errands. Why? Because they're a priority, and we cannot run the risk of forgetting them. So I would call for us that maybe it's time, if your life is really busy and if the people closest to you are getting your leftovers, it's time to schedule regular quality time with the ones you m- need to most not forget. What does that mean? If you're married with your spouse, it's time to again get on your calendar 
a date night, a lunch, and to protect that thing, to protect that even more than anybody that you would meet with in work. For your kids to block out times of your day that you could just meet with them. Now, I'm going to go ahead and call this because someone's like, oh, you don't get it. Yeah, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so Yeah, listen, many of us streamed like four new series on Netflix last week, okay? God gave us 24 hours because 24 hours is sufficient, and we have much more time than we realize we waste. And if you're a parent, your children need your time. I promise you, if you're a parent, there are blocks of undistracted time that Jesus has given you. What you need is wisdom. And praise God, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, ask, and I give generously without finding fault. So I'll tell you how this looks in my life. Just about a week and a half ago, my daughter Annabelle got a, a fishing pole for Christmas. She is like warrior princess. She's all girl, but oh my goodness, she will beat up everybody in our house, me included. <laughs> Annabelle said, Dad, I want to go fishing. And so, again, I went, all right. Just cleared out a couple of hours. Went and got everything that she didn't have in the gear. Taught her how to tie on a fishing hook and taught her how to do all that stuff. And all the setup the first time that you go fishing with a new child. And then we went out on the Alafaya and we just fished for a few hours. And God reminded me, like, hey, you need more of this schedule it. Missional communities, that's why we meet weekly. So I'm going to tell you right here, your missional community here where we tell you you need community, they've already scheduled it for you. Here's all you got to do. Show up. That's it. Just prioritize it and put it in your schedule. The third one in showing up is break bread. There have been countless studies of the depth that occurs when we eat together. And I can't explain it all, but I can tell you this. We are most us when we're eating. We're most relaxed, we're most natural, it's the least likely to be weird and programized, and, and so this is what I would encourage you, regularly have a family meal, you're going to eat anyway, eat together, missional communities, share a meal together, I'm so grateful that my friend Brenda gets this, I'm so grateful that she has chosen to lead um, our student ministry and their missional communities in a monthly rhythm of saying, you know what, we're going to eat together around one table. I want to say if you're a middle school or high school student, you need to be there tonight at 5 o'clock because you're going to see exactly what's going on and exactly what is built when we'll just choose to break bread together. This last part of showing up is to pay attention, to make the big and the small things that matter in their world your priorities too. Love is doing what is best for someone else, what builds up someone else, what honors someone else. And so this is very simple. If you want to make this practical, take interest in their interest. What do I mean? If they're a musician, go to their shows. If they love hospitality, don't make opening up your home a chore they have to apologize for. If they love camping, I know we got some overflow families that love camping, and I'm imagining that not everybody in those families love camping. So this is what I'm going to say. You're living it out right here. If they love camping, camp from time to time. It doesn't just honor them. It completes something now, you go further than that. We talk about some of the little stuff. My wife, Jill, it, it is so great. My wife, Jill, is the easiest person on the planet to please. When they came out with those five love languages, she said, I think I'm all of them. And you would think, man, maybe that means she's high maintenance. No, it means literally anything I do is a win. Like anything. She's like, I feel loved with that. I feel loved with that. I feel loved with that. So in that, she's just easy to please. But I've learned a few things through the years. I've learned that my wife, Jill, loves a personal card on big days of her life. I've learned that she loves a cake on her birthday. And I've learned that if we're getting ready to go on a trip somewhere, she loves the house to be completely, and I mean completely, spotless. So guess what? Those are now my priorities, too. Those aren't things I begrudgingly do and give her a hard time because, well, I promise for better or for worse. No, listen, we're one. Your priorities are my priorities. So now I say that my mind doesn't always understand it, that I love my house to be spotless. 
before I go on vacation. And so I give my very best to that. We talk about these big needs in your life. We're talking about surgeries and sickness. We're talking about a new job development. We're talking about a financial need. We're talking about stress and the things that need prayer. So as we walk together, I got to tell you, for my family, for the pastors that are my closest spiritual family, and for my missional community, for all three of these, just very practically, we set up an ongoing family text for each of these. And we share everything through the week, from the really silly stuff that's dumb, like here's this meme that I checked out, there's this thing that's funny, to the, to the mid-sized needs, to when everything kind of falls apart and we need to support one another, and it keeps us connected. So what am I saying? Just pay attention and be there in their world. All right, the second one, that's showing up. The second one is this, pour out. If the first one's showing up, the priority is presence. The second one, the priority is blessing. This is where you ask the question to those people you just pictured, those faces you got in mind, what do I have that I can bring that would build you up? What does it look like practically? Well, here it is. First of all, you bring them your best. Make these people the first recipients of your talents, not the ones getting your leftovers. Make them the first recipients of your, of your talents. This goes beyond just showing up. There's, there's people in your life that have things they need that you're just good at. Things they could work forever at, and you just get it. Maybe it's an acquired skill. Maybe it's a spiritual gift. Maybe it's your talent. But you're saying, if you're my people, you will not get my leftovers. The closer you are to my heart, the more you get my best. I'll tell you how that works for us. The best I can tell of my gift set, I am strongest in communication and strategy. So if it has to do with speaking or writing or singing or organizing thought or content, that's my world. And so a few years ago, my son Bradley came to me and he said, Dad, you know, I know you've written some stuff. I have a dream to be a writer, and I want to write a three-book fictional series. Now, here's what I didn't do. First of all, because I am a writer and I know that dream, I didn't laugh at that and be like, oh, sweet little boy, that's nice. I said, I believe the Lord's stirring something. Tell me your heart. And so he started to tell me his heart, but he's having a hard time organizing his thought. But I could see, man, this boy is a storyteller. He's got something to say. So I took him to the store. We bought a big board. I bought every color of Post-it note you could imagine. I said, here's how you organize your thought. And what I want you to do is get these categories. And I walked him through and I said, when you're done, come make a presentation to me and, and your mom in the living room. He took several weeks to put this together. He comes back and he says, well, here it is. And I'm so inspired seeing that he had it that from that point I said, okay, bud, I'm going to make a commitment to you. As you write, I want to be your first reader. I want to be your first editor. I want to help you formulate things. As you have questions, I'm here. And so he started writing, and this book started taking shape, and it was amazing. Listen, y'all, I write nonfiction. Fiction's a whole totally different world, and he's got it. And so as he started writing and getting further, it was like, he's going to bring this to completion. I ran to my editor of when, when I have written. I said, you've got to hear from my son and see this. And I set him up, and then I walked him through and coached him through the process. I got to tell you guys, I'm so excited. 2022, my son Bradley is releasing his first novel, The Chronicles of C-17, this year. It's coming out. What did I do in that? I just brought what I had. My son Josiah learned as a young boy that he loved comedy, which has gotten him in more trouble than you could possibly imagine through the years. But when I saw that, I said, you know what? There's a lot of skills that they have that I might not have that skill set, but in this, I can do that and you're my people, so you get my best. And so I, I helped him find his voice. What kind of comedian was he going to be? I help him to this day create content. He makes it funny. I've helped him perfect his presentation because that's what I bring. When we talk as a church, this is why I go on and on and on about knowing your fivefold gifting and plugging into a missional community because when you bring your strength, the whole church rises. We bring our best. 
And so I would ask you right now, to the people that are closest to you, are they getting your best? For some people, you need to draw a line in the sand today. He said, there are lines of other people that aren't even part of my tribe that are constantly taking my best. And it's the people closest to me that are paying. You need to say, the people closest get my best, not my leftovers. How do we pour out? We do the undesirable. We help with the stuff they don't want to face. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean here. I don't mean enabling people to avoid stuff they're called to. On the contrary, we need friends that will look us in the eye and give us the courage to do the hard thing that we need to do. We need friends to call us to not quit when we're weary, to correct us when we're believing in our own lies. As Proverbs says, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. When I'm saying do the undesirable thing, this is what I mean. Right now, there are places in your people's lives that they need help, and it has nothing to do with a skill or talent. They just need somebody to roll up their sleeves and get it done. To take out the trash, to clean the shower drain, to wash the dishes, to care for the sick, to change diapers. Can I, can I get on a soapbox for just a minute? Can I? Would that be all right? Listen, I'm going to do it anyway, but thank you. Um, for far too many years, I've heard far too many ladies, far too many wives say that they won't leave their kids or their pets with their husband because, quote, that's too much for them. I want to say this to moms, and I want to say this to men. I want you to hear from a dad of many, and I want to say you can do it, that's why God entrusted them to you. It is not enough for us to show up when it's fun. It is time in our culture to man up and to lead the way in the things that are undesirable. If love, yeah, amen. If love means laying down your life, we can handle bath time, amen? What do I mean in doing the undesirable? Listen, I've taken this into my family here at church. I've made a rule of my leadership that there is nothing beneath me. Two decades as a youth pastor, I gave myself the toughest room, the hardest spot, and the hardest assignment. To our staff to this day, this is what I say to them. If there's something you dread that you're going to have to walk through, call me. We'll go together. In community, when you look at building community together, I'm going to say it's good for you to say I'm praying for you. It's far better for you to roll up your sleeves and join them in the dirt. And here's precisely my point. You can't do that for all 8 billion people on the planet. You can do those for the one in the crowd that God put you before in that moment, but there are people that God said you need the margin and the strength to give your best all the time, so you have to discern who they are. You have to give your best, and then you have to be willing to give the undesirable. The last thing I'm just going to say is, is just a little part of this on this slide, is to be present, to choose to actually be in the moment you're in. Isn't that a novel idea? To fully pay attention when you're with somebody. So last soapbox, I'm just going to say this. For the love of God, can we please put cell phones down when you're on a date? Please, Jesus. What's across from the table from you is far more fascinating and beautiful than the device in your hand. It's far more of a gift. For some people, workaholics, I want to say this. You might have to be at the place, and some days I'm preaching it myself here, that you might need to get home and put your phone in jail, Right? Like, you don't get time off for good behavior until tomorrow. I'm setting, do not disturb. I'm putting it on my nightstand because I'm choosing to fully be present where I'm present. I want to remind us that though we often forget the moments that we get to be face-to-face with the people that are going to be the biggest blessing when this is all said and done, it passes like that. We've got to choose to be present. All right, the last one, and then I want to go ahead and equip us here, and we're going to pray. We said that we've got to show up, we've got to pour out, and the last one, 
is to let in. God desires relationships in your life and my life that would be reciprocal. Not always just you showing up and pouring out and being the superhero. You're a human being. He says he sets the lonely in families, and he desires people that would see you and value you and celebrate you and support you, and you need to let them in. How do we start to do that? Well, the first one seems counterintuitive, but it is so true. We've got to get serious about having fun. We've got to share hobbies together or join theirs and find your thing and do it regularly. My wife, Jill, and I, we love streaming suspense movies and series and true crime dramas. I'm not even kidding. It's weird. It's our thing. You're going to come to my house, you're going to see lots of Bible verses and lots of murder mysteries. I don't know. (laughs) But that's our thing. We find life in it, so we make time for it. For my kids, they love trivia, jackbox games, board games, and movie nights, so we make space for it. How do you let people in? You choose to be a mirror, and this is what I mean, that you get vulnerable about being you. That you get in relationships where you progressively deeper begin to share your hopes and dreams and doubts and fears. Parents, let me say this. For our kids, it is so important that we don't let them believe that we live in an ivory tower. When we're teaching them, we need to share our own weaknesses. And not just the weaknesses I had when I was your age, the weaknesses that I had yesterday. It's important when we mess up in our homes. If you mess up publicly, own it publicly. They will not lose respect for you. In fact, what they will see is that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man, and God is faithful. We've got to choose to be vulnerable, to be real. In missional communities, we've got to move past the church mask, beyond the surface-level relationships. And I want to say this, if we would make the rhythm, if we would just choose to come together, I've watched this time and time again in the church in my life, if we just stay together, you will go progressively deeper to the deep things past how is the weather to this is my heart. But we can't let people in if we don't show up. We've got to make it a priority. The third one here is to pursue their heart to make space for undistracted, meaningful conversation and demonstration. I want to talk for just a minute to husbands and wives. I believe one of the deepest needs that we see today in marriages is the need to cultivate friendship. We have a culture that has taught us romance completely backwards. It's taught attraction first, and sure, attraction is what gets your attention, but this is what our culture says. You move from attraction to immediately the deep emotional promises and physical expressions, and often they never form a friendship. Because friendships only come, depth only comes slowly as you express the real you, not the image that you're trying to project when you want to impress someone. Many of us don't have friendship. How do we develop that? We need space to open up, to share what it is you're really feeling, what you're really thinking, what you're really longing for in this season. Because if you don't know it, we grow and we change, don't we? And I think some of us, sometimes we find we're still operating on our spouse's operating system from who they were 10 years ago. And we desperately need an update. We need to know what it is that's on your heart today. You won them once, win them again. Demonstrate through an intentional pursuit. I want to say for somebody, it is time to delight in the spouse of your youth all over again and to go back and do the things you did at first to leave little letters again, to call in the middle of the day for no reason, to buy small gifts just to say, I'm thinking of you. Some of us, when we get to this point of pursuing their heart, maybe you're a parent 
you're thinking of a child right now and you say, but you don't understand, they don't want that connection with me right now. They're so standoffish, they're so angry, they don't want it. Then please hear me in love, parent, and I'm praying with you. Refuse to accept that. They need you. God gave them to you because all the days of their life, they need you. You don't outgrow needing a parent. Amen, adults? They need you all the days of their life. And so this is what I would call you to do. If that's you, you have a kid and you're like, they're not here, what do I do? Start praying for their heart every day. Schedule it. Make it a priority. Become a student of them all over again. I don't care if you have to do it on social media because they get mad if you got any closer. You pay attention to every cue you can find about who they really are and what's really their heart, and you don't make demands. You be patient, and you celebrate the smallest victories knowing that you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Pursue their heart. The last one is this, and then we're going to pray. That we create traditions. That you'd find who it is that you are together and make lots of memories. What do I mean? Have ice cream for dinner. Get season passes to a theme park. Have a regular game night with your friends or with your missional communities. In fact, I want to say this, missional communities in the room, you have complete permission to make your community something you eagerly look forward to. Why should it be any different? Plan getaways with your family and your friends. I married into this beautiful tradition with my wife's family that for a week every year we go to a beach condo together. It's my favorite. Since Jill and I got married, every anniversary, we'll trade off anniversaries that one of us will plan it and surprise the other one, and the next year the other one will plan it. And it's brought us so much deeper and so much more respect of something we can give to one another. How do we build depth with our family? We show up, we pour out, we let them in. We were made to run together, and right now God has given us people, suitable helpers, so that we don't walk alone. And how we're going to run our race will largely be defined how we walk with these people. It's my prayer that we run well. Would you stand with me? In these last minutes together, I just want to ask if you close your eyes. I'm going to ask a few questions, and then we'll be done. If you could right now get in your mind a picture of those people, the people that God says, hey, these are your people, these are your kin, your super family, your clan, your tribe. You're called to love all. You're called to bless all. You're called to serve all. But you will only be able to cultivate depth with a few. What relationship is God saying? It's time to show up. He keeps getting put on a back burner. He says, no, this needs to be a priority. It's time to show up. Remember we said we're not going to get buried in grief. We're going to receive the depth of grace. What lesser pursuit is taking too much of your soul and costing you what matters most? Where is it right now God's calling you to reorder your time and to make space? To stop leaning on the excuse, I'm too busy. Say, no, they matter too much for me to be too busy. Where is he calling for time in your schedule right now? I'm asking the Lord to unlock strategies. You see, oh my gosh, there are these few hours right here where I could really pursue these relationships that matter. He says he gives wisdom to those who ask. Just ask him now, Lord, these people matter to me. I want to walk well with them so that I run my race well. 
Where's God calling you to pour out? What is it that you have and you bring that the people in your life need and you need to position yourself deeper? What great relationship is in your life that God says, I want to invest in more so that it'll be unbelievable? Where's he calling you to be in the moment that you're in? I'd ask you right now, what fun is it time to plan? Whose heart is it time to pursue? Where is it time for you to commit to a regular rhythm of community where you can learn to let people in? In just a second, I want to pray for you. But this week, I've, I've heard this refrain, and so I want to share it with you right now because I believe it's for somebody hearing my voice that you're hearing this, and God says, it is time to stop lamenting what you don't have and start building with what you do. It's time to stop lamenting what you don't have and start building with what you do. You say right now, well, you talked about that. I don't have a spiritual father. I don't have a spiritual mother. I don't have those 2 a.m. friends. I don't have this relationship. I got dealt a, a bad a, a hand. I get it. And it breaks my heart, but I want to make you a promise right now. I promise that the God who loves you and sees you as his beloved and his favorite, there are people he has placed in your life right now. And you can either put your focus on lamenting who's not there yet, or you can build with those you do. What are the relationships right now that God is calling you to steward, to pour into and then to invest? Father, I ask right now in Jesus' name, not for a message of creative ideas that we try to do in our own strength. No, I ask right now, if you just hold your hands out, I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to fall upon your children. I ask that the things that you've spoken to them about these relationships, that now, Holy Spirit, you bring conviction, you bring wisdom, you bring clarity, you bring strategies, you bring answers, you bring patience, you bring steps, you bring favor, you open doors. Right now this week, somebody that's got a relationship that they think, you know, I'm going to try it again, but they'd never accept me. We're saying in Jesus' name, that thing fall right now. That child that has pushed out their parent that needs it, fall right now. That marriage that's teetering on the brink, we call you into alignment right now to be everything your king ever desired for you to be. And we call over you to have the strength and the grace and the patience to build slowly depth over time. The anointing for husbands and wives to become best friends. The anointing for legacy between parents and their kids. I want to speak to some kids right now. You might be an adult kid. You might be a kid kid. But you're looking at your parent and you go, oh, well, we missed that link in our chain. If you're still breathing, he's still building. I call for restored legacies in your family line. Jesus, would you give us the grace that we